This program was a repeat of an earlier broadcast, and some of the details may have been out of date. This is 3CR. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. And a good morning to you out there. This is Monday Breakfast here on 3CR 855am. My name is James and I'm joined by Grace and Rob. How was your weekend, guys? Good, good, good. Good morning. Morning. Rob, you are joining us for the first time. How are yeah, you feeling? I'm feeling good. Welcome, um, Rob. It's really good to be here. We uh, had uh, we had Rob watching over us last week mm-hmm. with, with, with beautiful supervision, and now Rob's stepping into the hot seat, and we're very glad to have you here, Rob. Thank you. It's good to be here. James, you went on a trip recently. How was it? Yes, I went on a road trip last week up to South Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh I made a um, little pact with myself to go on a road trip, go to a few community op shops, mm-hmm. little local op shops in mm-hmm. rural towns, and I had a delightful time. Amazing. Did you manage to catch the football game though? No, no. Well, I, 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 caught, the, uh, I caught the big Matildas game on Wednesday mm-hmm. night, uh, which we lost, which was very sad. Mm-hmm. And there are a few people in the pub who were not great to watch with, <laughs> that's yep. all I'll say. <laughs> so. Yeah. I won't say any more than that. So I was a little bit, I was a little bit peed off, but it was a great trip nonetheless. I saw some beautiful coastlines. Beautiful. Saw mm-hmm. some beautiful, saw some beautiful people and some beautiful little towns, um, and I got some great stuff at op shops, some real vintage stuff. So I'm very happy, very happy, and I'm, but I'm also happy to be back in the three CR hot seat. That's amazing. Well, your shirt that you're wearing today is really nice as well. I love that top. Yeah, two dollars. Can you wow. believe it? <laughs> Can you believe it? Oh, I've, I've, I don't think I've ever been able to get a top anymore at this at this era of capitalism in $2. So, wow, that's amazing. Op shops are the future. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me just say that. <laughs> truly, truly the I grew future. up in them and they're the future. So, we've got a pretty big show today. Yeah. Um, we've got a few things that we're going to cover. First off, Grace, we've got an interview with Dr. Sarah Bentley. What can you tell me about that? Yep. So, Dr. Sarah Bentley is a research scientist at CISRO, uh, where we basically discussed the concept of AI hallucination. We, we actually did a discussion last week, but we're going to revisit it because I just want our listeners to understand what human hallucination uh, actually means in comparison to what we're going to discuss about AI hallucination. And it's not what you think of the hallucination that you know of. Ooh. So that is very interesting concept there that we did for our AI series science for, um, for last week's Science Week. And yeah, I'm going to revisit to this conversation because this Wednesday, I'm going to be doing another discussion about AI hallucination. But we go in depth more into the insight of how to prevent them. And that's right. with using the context of chat GPT. Fantastic. So, yeah. Interesting. Looking forward to that. 
And then we've got an interview with Mary Azizi from uh, Everybody's Home. Is that right? Uh, so, yep, Mary Azizi from Everybody's Home. So we're going to be discussing the need to protect renters from housing crisis. There was a national cabinet meeting last week. So we're going to be going to a conversation there in regards to this and how why we need to protect renters from the housing crisis and not just focus on social housing. So yeah, it's yeah. Really interesting. So. Very timely interview. From, mm. a, from a personal standpoint, for some reason, my rent assistance has ended uh, from Centrelink. Love that. So I'd be very interested in that interview from a personal <laughs> standpoint. And then finally, we've got an interview, Rob, uh, about yeah. an anti-fascist counter-protest which happened last week. What can you tell me about that? Yeah, so uh, last weekend um, at the Exhibition Centre, uh, there was a, a drag expo, which sounds really fun. Uh, unfortunately, a, a lot of... Um, I'm just going to say it how it is. They're, they're bigots, fascists, yeah. rocked up to... Um, prevent people from having a good time and being themselves. Um, so I managed to track down an, 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 an attendee of the counter-protest, which was so big in number that uh, the Nazis were literally forced to move away from the Drag Expo. Fantastic. So I, um, I'm going to be asking them about what it was like, um, the growing... Um, the pretty worrying rise of the uh, anti-trans movement in Melbourne, especially mm. in places like Sunshine, and um, yeah, to see what else is happening in that space. Fantastic! I'm very excited to hear about that. Thank you. That is a good news story from last week. Um, so to uh, start you off on this Monday, we're going to go to the song. We're going to start you up nice and slow. This is uh, Life Goes On by King Stingray, one of the great exports we have at the moment. Uh, so we'll play this and then we'll get to our first interview. goes on to the future of another day Hey, all my boy, don't wait for someone else to say Stay the same and remember the aim What you're going for Soap in your mind and live your dream This is your destiny Cause the sun will rise to bring another day What you're waiting for <laughs> Yeah. 
That was a very beautiful song played there, James. So we're gonna be revisiting right now a conversation with Dr. Sarah Bentley, who is a research scientist at Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organization, also known as CISRO, where we discuss the concept of AI, AI hallucination, and also going into a bit of human hallucination, but not of that understanding of what we know of when it comes to hallucinating, and. It's bit, they, don't, they don't actually mean the same thing and they don't work the same way. So let's take a listen. So joining me this morning is Dr. Sarah Vivian Bentley. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Grace. Great to be here. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. So Sarah, can we just first, before we head on to the whole, what is AI hallucination? Let's look at the human first. Like how does a human hallucinate? Yeah, no, that's a really interesting question. And uh, as someone who works in the field of how we sort of think about and perceive uh, artificial intelligence and how we can deploy it responsibly, when uh, myself and colleagues started to see this term banded around about uh, ChatGPT in particular, so generative AI uh, hallucinating, and we were really fascinated by the use of the word because mm. obviously it means a lot within a human context and it wasn't something we were so familiar with um, within that sort of artificial intelligence understanding of, of how ChatGPT and these different models of AI are working. Mm. So in terms of human hallucination, of course, you've got the kind of um, people hallucinate when they um, perceive things visually in ways that sort of are, are non-realistic, and that might be uh, related to um, sort of health conditions or uh, drug-related um, sort of conditions. But of course, in a broader sense, uh, there's a really interesting understanding of how human beings think mm -hmm. and perceive the world in a way that is slightly sort of hallucinatory in the sense that we have a very subjective kind of view on the world 
Um, we have to, as humans navigating our daily lives, we have to process huge amounts of data all the time. And we couldn't possibly uh, be kind of like literally processing and, and analyzing and making decisions based on every bit of incoming information. So we have to make shortcuts, what we call sort of cognitive heuristics, mm -hmm. um, shortcuts all the time in order to successfully go about our world, whether or not that's kind of, you know, uh, me in the morning, uh, dropping um, my uh, daughter off at school and then thinking about a meeting and navigating the road and preparing for uh, what I might need to grab for dinner tonight. And all of those different things are sort of ha happening all at once, often uh, mostly unconsciously. And so for that reason, we sort of do make these shortcuts in terms of our thinking in order to kind of get through uh, the amount of data. But in terms of uh, the way that we might be shortcutting, we might often be missing bits of information. When we're talking about sort of uh, complex social situations, for instance, that might mean that we're sometimes skipping certain bits of information, not necessarily taking into account all the different factors that we should take into account in order to make the best decisions. And so that was kind of interesting because we're blaming um, for good reason, um, ChatGPT and, and AI for hallucinating and making mistakes. And yet, I'm, you know, it kind of occurs to us, I'm a social psychologist, that we're not terribly aware of all the interesting, fascinating ways that we have of somewhat hallucinating ourselves. Mm, that is very interesting. And then, so, I guess now coming into the whole understanding about what is AI hallucination, you used a context of an AI called LOM. Can you explain to us what that AI is? Yeah, so um, large LLM, large language models, are basically sort of forms of artificial intelligence modeling um, and, and particularly generative um, AI, which means that the um, artificial intelligence uh, literally generates an output. And the most familiar um, to us right now in kind of um, modern Western society is the launch of ChatGPT that, that kind of hit our lives at the end of last year um, to in a very, very dramatic very very high impact fast way and, and and i'm pretty sure you would have had a go at chat gpt and mm -hmm. and tried it out and, and seen what it what it can do um generative ai of that form um it can generate text as we see in the sort of chat gpt example whereby you can kind of have a conversation um, with that uh, ai that large language model and it will converse back to you in text form and it's it's fantastically persuasive it, it, i mean it's an, an extraordinary piece of um, technological innovation mm. um, you can you know ask it things it's very believable it's very uh, generally speaking quite polite it, it can do huge it can respond in in huge ways um, conversationally um, uh, in a way that's profoundly useful for us in terms of all of sort of managing knowledge and uh, and kind of using those tools to help with our own thinking processes but generative AI isn't restricted to text um, there's artificial intelligence that can generate images that, that we've also kind of seen a fair bit in the press um, that can generate sound, um, music, videos as well. So multimodal outputs that are effectively generated by artificial intelligence uh, models um, like the one that, as I say, we're very familiar with ChatGPT and its conversational presentations. Mm. And then now mm -hmm. into the AI hallucination that can occur in with LL, like for example this LLM model so yeah how, how does it work like what what does it mean when AI hallucinates well interestingly it's um it, it, there is an overlap I suppose with uh, an AI hallucinating and a human hallucinating in the sense that they're kind of you know the AI is endeavoring to fill the gap it's, it's effectively when a 
large language model like ChatGPT is responding to a question that you might pose, Mm. it's going to answer that question effectively on the basis of a kind of word order generation. It's trained on um, reams and reams and reams of existing text-based data. Um, so it processes all of that. It's learned all of that, and it um, and it sort of scales up from what word comes next to what how how sentence structures are, are formed in terms of what it's uh, what it's understood and read before, and all of that data that it's understood and read before. I use the term understood very loosely there, mm. um, but all that data that it's trained on um, is human generated data at this point in time, and so um, effectively. Then you ask it a question and it will kind of predict um, the type of response and predict the words that that sort of concatenate to form the sentence that gives you that very, very persuasive human-like conversational answer that it sort of puts back to you. Um, And they all the time they are very uh, persuasively look like they're correct but there are instances um, where chat GPT uh, and similar large language models like that answer very 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 confidently uh, and very sort of persuasively but in reality they answer entirely falsely and they'll be quoting very very false information um, back at you but without ever saying um, I don't know or I'm not sure what this answer is or I think this doesn't sound quite right but I'll try it anyway they don't do that they just uh, respond back um, and give you a response that you know is seemingly very believable I, I actually was reading a little bit this morning um, and someone quoted uh, asking ChatGPT about the sole survivor of the Titanic. I tried it myself, and I um, went into ChatGPT this morning and, and asked it who was the sole survivor of the of the Titanic. And unfortunately, it did still give me uh, an answer. It named um, one individual as the sole survivor of the Titanic. So, so there are interesting little anomalies that occur, and these anomalies occur as a result of limitations in the data um, mm. on which the the AI, the artificial intelligence model has been trained. Um, they might occur due to um, kind of training uh, gaps in the training process um, mm. and that may they may be algorithmic gaps or they may be gaps with regard to um, the sort of more active training that occurs. So when you're building these large language models, um, you want to automate the training process as much as possible for obvious reasons. But then there's also a really significant um, human collaborative training process that has to happen on the back of that, whereby actual humans um, test the system out effectively. And during that testing process, which can take a long time and involve many, many, many people um, actively inputting back into the system, um, human beings will be correcting those AI responses as they go um, mm. to try and sort of weed out those errors and, and also uh, improve the fluency and the kind of sense making of the AI system itself. But of course, you know, things, problems happen um, mm. and, you know, it's impossible to rule all of those out um, given the very persuasive nature of this technology in the sense that the average human being is relatively time poor. Um, yeah. So having a tool that gives you uh, like beautifully crafted, um, polite, engaging responses is is really persuasive um, when you want to get some information and get your job done and you might be using it, um, you know, educationally or in an organizational workplace context and you may not have that much time. And then you can be lulled into a sort of false sense of belief that you know, the information is objective and is trustworthy. And that's one of uh, the human biases that we know exists very strongly. It's a, a bias called the automation bias whereby when humans are interacting with machines and computers and things that are theoretically sort of objective uh, and non-emotional, um, we tend to assume that they're going to be correct. 
um, which tends to be a very false assumption. And there's all, you know, we always need our, our kind of discerning, read the room type human head on when we're interpreting information from any source, regardless of whether it's from a machine or from a human. Um, but of course, we, we do sometimes forget we have this kind of blind spot. And we're like, oh, no, you know, this is a piece of technology. It's very advanced. Of course, it's going to tell me the truth. So um, that that's kind of an issue in terms of how we as humans uh, develop these tools. Mm. Um, we have to work really hard, um, and, and people are, um, but I feel that there's more work to be done here, um, ensuring that the data sets are as um, robust, reliable, inclusive, expansive, uh, ensuring that they're kind of representative of um, uh, uh, broad sections of society and broad sections of knowledge uh, in all of its diversity and variance, uh, and they're not restricted. Um, understanding what biases might be in that data, because um, it's come from humans, and we are biased individuals, whether or not that's biases that are very explicit, um, with regard to issues around sort of racial bias within society, for instance, or mm -hmm. whether those biases are more implicit and invisible, but either way, they're definitely there. Um, so working on those biases, making them more visible and then counteracting them is really important. And then obviously, you know, embellishing the training process as much as possible to iron out all of those hallucinations is really key. Um, but of course, we, you know, it's such a new technology. Mm, that That is very interesting in that sense of like, looking at um, what, can, what can be done. Well, well sorry, I, I, unfortunately, we're actually running out of time, but I just want to get this very light note of a last question to ask. Like, it, it seems like it's really more on the fact that they assume a lot. Uh, I mean, it's based on assumptions on and mm. when they predict answers. So why, why do you think, is, is there a reason why is it called AI hallucination? Or, and why is it not just called like, oh, this just assumptions of like the robot? <laughs> Yeah, um, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, I always I find discussing words and the words we use super fascinating. And of course, we never actually have enough words to cover the the meaning of everything yeah. that we want to convey. So, mm. I mean, as I say, there are limited words that one can use around uh, this sort of stuff, and this is uncharted territory. So, yes, it is sort of it's an interesting word. It's possibly uh, a little bit kind of inappropriate because it does really kind of conjure up this idea of the AI being very human because mm. hallucinating is such a human term mm -hmm. and it also kind of conjures up the idea that the AI is uh, you know is a little bit um, you know Machiavellian or, or, or maybe not yeah. honest and, and lying to us or, or a bit deluded which again is another human very human sort of term and mm. the reality is that it's none of those things it's just a, a comp very complicated sophisticated algorithm which which sometimes like humans goes wrong and we need to address those things and, and deal with that um, but the term hallucinating is evocative of a whole load of other ideas and of course it it works well in a media domain because it sounds so exciting that your ai is hallucinating and whether or not that's helpful i'm not sure but <laughs> it, it certainly was interesting to us when we wrote the piece mm, definitely but yeah anyway um thank you so much sarah for joining us this morning you it's been really lovely having you Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you.
Australia's energy market is broken. Right, but co-power gives you better energy? Nope, no retailer can control where the electrons they buy off the grid come from. But as a co-power member, you can vote on where 100% of revenue goes. So instead of corporate profit, your energy bill builds the world you want to be a part of. That's cool. Learn more about the solidarity economy and co-power today and take the power back. Victorian energy fact sheets and basic plan information documents are available at cooperativepower.org.au. For clear advice on the right plan for you, contact us on 03 9068 6036. A 3CR supporter. Wildlife Victoria is a non-profit emergency response service committed to assisting wildlife in need across Victoria. Our trained and dedicated volunteers rescue and rehabilitate sick, injured and orphaned animals so they can be released back to their native habitat. If you see wildlife that may need our help, please contact us on 8400 7300. To donate or register to become a volunteer, hop onto our website at wildlifevictoria.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Trans Family is a not-for-profit organisation providing a peer support group for loved ones including parents, siblings, extended family and friends of a trans and gender diverse person. Trans Family runs discussion groups in person and online. We offer a safe space to share your experiences, ask any questions regarding your situation and provide peer support. We are especially keen to hear from loved ones in regional and rural Victoria. Donations to Trans Family are tax deductible. For more information, visit transfamily.org.au or look for us on Facebook. Trans Family is a 3CR supporter. And that was me speaking to Dr. Sarah Bentley research scientist at Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organization, also known as CISRO, discussing the concept of AI hallucinations in comparison with human hallucination. This Wednesday, I'm going to be doing another discussion about AI hallucination, but we look in... Oh, sorry, this is not with Sarah, Dr. Sarah, just to, take, uh, just to be aware of that, but I am going to be doing a discussion about AI hallucination with a... She's like a AI con- AI content specialist that she's she's an advocate for in, in regards to AI, and yeah, we're going to be discussing about AI hallucinations with a deeper insight on how to prevent it with the context of ChatGPT. So we're going to be taking a look at that this Wednesday. So yeah, look, stay tuned and catch us on Wednesday as well. I mean, breakfast yeah, is Monday fantastic. to Friday, but of course, <laughs> if you want to listen to AI hallucinations. Listen in on Wednesday. That was a fascinating conversation, Grace. Well done. Thank you. Uh, Our AI special was all last week, Mm -hmm. and we've had a bit of time to process over the weekend now. So I'm interested to hear what you guys' thoughts are on AI, given that we've covered a lot of things now. Yeah. Rob, where do you stand on AI? What are your feelings? AI, um, especially since the uh, AI special went on, been reading quite a bit about it um over the past week or so um scares the hell out of me yeah quite frankly um yeah especially because it's it's hard to be on the internet anywhere without an algorithm Mm. or an ai behind it and just not knowing 
who's doing it with what intention, with what bias. Yeah. Yeah. Super scary to me. Mm. What about you, Grace? Well, I I try to see AI in a positive note because I always think it's actually very helpful, especially as a student myself. I've heard so many things about using ChatGPT for like uni work, and it's been very helpful. I guess in a lot of ways, but I pers- I personally don't use it. I can definitely say that I don't yeah. understand how it works. Like, if there, I, are any, if there are any tutors or teachers of yours out there listening, <laughs> Grace does not use ChatGPT. Yes, I do not use. <laughs> I do not use it. I have tried, but it doesn't work for me. I don't. I still mm. don't really get how it works. Mm. Uh, yeah. Because I don't know. I'm just so used to like the whole traditional way of doing your own work by yourself. So, mm. uh, I, I just. I feel like it's not really helpful for me, but yeah. it has helped a lot of students. So I yeah. think it's good in a lot of ways because, you know, why why take the hard way when you can do it the easier way? So personally, that's good good for a lot of people, you know? Yeah, good work. So, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's very scary because there was also a conversation on it, how it has, how it's being used in warfare as well last week. Yeah. So yes. yes, that was very interesting. I didn't even think this AI yeah. could associate with war. As really was war was warfare was something that was yeah. such a long time ago thing. And I mean, obviously we still have it, but like, mm. wow, just that with AI. Like, yeah. Wow, I don't it's, it's, um, really like really concerning again how quickly it's taking over so many aspects of our lives you know mm. obviously it's taking over war and also with the you know the sag after strikes um over in the u.s it's yeah actors are worried that ai will be used to take their image and make any movies yeah. they want with yeah it. it's taking over art yeah and humans, like, literally, like, it's taking over our lives and it can do anything to our lives without us knowing. And our privacy is just gonna... It's just not there. It doesn't exist anymore. Mm. And let alone, it can be racially disc- discriminative as well. Like, mm. without, without like, how do you even do that? Like, how, how can AI be racist? Like, I just don't understand how it works. Obviously, someone made it that way. Because uh, the data is racist. Mm-hmm. And the data comes from... The people <laughs> yeah and we yeah. had that whole thing about the indigenous data data sovereignty as well there's yeah, a reason why this yeah. needs to be formed because literally like the information put out there that people have embedded into this ai are not good information about certain people mm. and marginalized uh unheard voices that's why that's why ai can be racist yeah yeah and so just, it's just really dangerous yeah there are positives with ai and i'm st- i'm also very scared um you know, I what scares me is that the people developing AI mm. are in the military sector mm. or big capitalist for-profit companies. And it's hard to imagine those two sectors doing anything for the social good <laughs> with this tool. Mm. Um, in the medical field, though, you know, AI can be used to find small cancerous growths mm. in, at an incredible rate beyond what any human can do mm. things like that so there are positives yes but it's about who's making it mm. and for what reason that's my little uh, that's my takeaway from last week's very big, good question big deep dive we need governments to make AI but then again do we can we trust them yeah, yeah. Anyway. that's for next year's special <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to go to a song now before our next interview this is a little bit faster paced now uh, this is Guring Guy Girl, the Phineas remix uh, by Charlie Needs Braces, a great local artist.
was a very beautiful, fast-paced song by Charlie Nice Braces called Goring Gai Girl. So now we're going to be speaking to May Azizi, our spokesperson from Everybody's Home, where we discuss the need to protect renters from the housing crisis. Joining me this morning is May Azizi. Good morning, May. Good morning. Thanks for having me. No problem. So can we just first get to understand, we know there's been a need for social housing, but what is the issue here with the rental market? Why why has it gone up so much? So rents are really expensive in Australia for a couple of reasons. We used to have very affordable housing in Australia uh, because we used to have uh, a lot of government-supplied housing. Uh, at the highest point, uh, about 22% of new homes that were built were built by the government. Mm-hmm. In the 80s, a lot of that changed when uh, the federal government started walking away from social housing, public housing. And what we've seen since then is that we've incentivised a lot of the wrong people to get in and uh, invest and supply housing, and it's made uh, housing really expensive. And on top of that, only about 1% of new homes that are built today are public housing, so the government doesn't have a lot of leverage in the market. So we need to do a lot more to protect renters. The other thing that's really changed is that more people are renting and more people are going to be renting for life. So we need reforms that recognise that people are going to be living in rentals their whole life. Um, and protect them from these huge rent increases. If you're renting for life, you can't absorb a 10% rent increase every year. It's just not sustainable. Mm. And so you've attended the National Cabinet meeting last week, uh, last Wednesday, basically. Uh, sorry, not, you didn't attend it. You <laughs> know what I was just saying. <laughs> yes, I'm so sorry. Yeah, so you did attend it. You just know what has came up from it. So can you just uh, share about what was said at a meeting uh, what, what was what was the plan that came out from there? So there was a lot of anticipation um, from groups around the country who were interested in housing and renting uh, that, that this would be a meeting that does something to protect renters from the worst of the housing crisis. But unfortunately, it was just a real missed opportunity. What we saw uh, was no agreement to limit the size of rent increases. Uh, what they did agree to was to limit rent increases to once per year. But that's not really a change. Um, every state and territory, except for Western Australia or the Northern Territory, already does that. So nine out of ten renters already only have an annual rent increase. And we know that that doesn't stop the size of rent increases from being very big. Um, and we saw no no timeline uh, or details on any action around no cause evictions, which is a shame because that's uh, one of the big reasons why rent goes up and standards are low because people are afraid to ask for changes because they believe they can be evicted. Um, and at the end of the day, what they focused on was generic supply, which was really the fear from our campaign that they were going to focus on uh, builders building in the private market rather than um, creating affordable housing for people who mm. need it. Mm, I see. But then I saw... But what I understood basically was that this plan actually can give renters more rights, was it not? Because it is it actually because it basically allows, even though to, to remove constraints to build more homes, but it basically can give renters more rights and also make it cheaper. So I uh, I think I was just trying to understand there, like how is this going to feel more no cost evictions for the renters. So what the agreement does is three things. Firstly, they've agreed to limit limit rent increases to once per year, which isn't the same as limiting the size of rent increases. They've uh, agreed that in the future at some point, they'll come up with a a plan around reasonable cause evictions, but we don't know what that'll look like 
what reasonable cause means or what the timeline is. And then they've agreed that they will aim... This is this is a reheated announcement. It's an announcement the government made last year with the states and uh, uh, around uh, an aspiration for the private sector to build a million homes. And now they've um, expanded that aspiration to 1.2 million homes. So um, there's there's not a lot of change in here, right? Um, uh, nine out of ten renters already have uh, rent increases limited to once per year. We, we don't really have any information on what's happening with with reasonable grounds or no 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 cause evictions, and we know that just building generic homes doesn't work. We've built um, a million homes in the last ten years in Australia, and at every single census, we know that uh, we have more homes per adult, but it's not bringing the cost of housing down. The government needs to supply affordable housing to people who need it. Mm, I see, and I and. Basically, also in in regards to this, we also know there's this whole thing with Bark Beacon at the moment as well. Like that that housing crisis is there. So like, how is this gonna impact them? And how? And basically, just and I guess with social housing, we know it's it's very doable. But then renters face a lot of situations right now. So like, how is it gonna impact them? So what we've got in, in different parts of the country is state governments that in the middle of a housing crisis are actually getting rid of public housing mm. um, or, or knocking down public housing. Sometimes they say it's because they're, they're, they're renewing their stock or what have you, but in the middle of a housing crisis, it's never the right thing to get rid of public housing. Um, mm. if, if the homes um, aren't where they should be, then they should be repaired. There's no reason to let public housing and social housing get into such an, a state of disrepair that it needs to be uh, demolished. And in this case, there's particularly no excuse because in the middle of the year, the government uh, gave $2 billion for public housing to be either built or repaired. So uh, my heart goes out to the people at Barrack Bacon uh, Barrack Beacon, sorry, um, who who might be losing their homes because there's absolutely no need for it to happen. And there's nothing that came out of National Cabinet that would stop something like that from happening in the middle of the crisis that we're in, which is, which is a shame. I see. And then I guess now we've already looked at the fact that this is going to help, this is going to affect renters. How is this going to help the people who have already rented homes, basically? Like, did the plan discuss anything in regards to that could you could you rephrase that question sorry uh so basically obviously we, we discussed about renters like the people who are the people who are the ones who do the renting like they they, they want to but not uh, how are the people who rented homes like sorry is that is that is that the clar- clarified do you mean investors yeah yeah sorry about that so nothing changes. This, yep. this agreement changes nothing, right? Yeah. Um, you know, um, if you're an investor in WA or the Northern Territory, then you're, you'll be able to put the rent up once a year. Um, and that's, that's down from twice a year, but you can still raise the rent however much you like. Um, you can raise the rent once a year in a way that recoups the costs um, of how you might have done it twice a year. This, this agreement doesn't really change anything for anybody. Mm. I see. Yeah. Interesting. May, can I just? That's the problem. <laughs> that's yeah. the problem. We need to we need to see some actual change. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Mm. May, can I just ask about the um, the national cabinet meeting with so many politicians owning multiple properties? Is there any sort of like 
body or criteria for who can be on these, who's going into these national cabinet meetings? Well, national cabinet is for the prime minister and for the state premiers and chief ministers. But you raise a really good point. We've got um, a, a real investor class among our politicians. We know that the current PM and also his housing minister really like to talk about mm. the fact that they grew up in public housing. What yeah. they never talk about is that they're both landlords with pretty big investment portfolios. Yep. And um, I think you could argue in Australia that that's been a much bigger influence on politicians' decision-making mm. um, than, than where they grew up, their current, their, their current interests. Mm. Mm. Fantastic. Thanks, May. Um, in, in this debate and in the political discourse, there's quite a few um, alternative solutions to help the housing crisis. Uh, one is uh, to help immediately is the rent freeze that the Greens have been talking about quite often, um, both at local and at national level. From your perspective, May, uh, will the rent freeze help short-term and long-term? always said as a campaign that we're pretty agnostic about the mechanism. What we want is for the government to step in and limit unfair rent increases. Mm. That could be through a freeze, it could be through caps, it could be through controls. The reality is in Australia we don't do, we don't do any of those things. We've got some modest um, protections in the ACT against unfair rent increases, but um, they, they are pretty modest and uh, by international standards it's really nothing. So for us we're, we're agnostic about the mechanism we know a lot of states have said they don't want to do a rent increase, they, they, they find it scary investors have convinced them that they'll leave the market if, if they freeze rents. Um, fine, but there's other things that they could look at. Um, so for us what we're interested in is, is any move the federal government um, and the state governments together could make to limit unfair rent increases because as I said before, if you're someone who's going to be renting for life, you're going to be retiring as a renter, you're going to be um, on an age pension as a renter, there is no way that you can afford a 10% rent increase every mm. year, which is what we've been seeing. Mm, for sure. I, I know from a personal anecdote, uh, my rent assistance with Centrelink has just finished up for some reason. So I'm, I'm also oh. feeling the pinch, <laughs> and I'm not sure why. <laughs> yeah, well, well that's... that's that's another um, huge story and huge scandal. The payments um, payments that people are on, fixed payments like rent assistance uh, when people are on job seeker, when people are on the age pension, um, they're, they're fixed. You know, they're, they're fixed costs. We know that wage increases aren't going up by ten percent a year, but we know that those fixed payments are not going up by anything like that, um, and anything like that at all. So people really can't afford to keep absorbing these increases. Mm. Mm, that's really interesting to me, and so I guess. But then I, I also think like, sorry, because I'm not, I'm not someone who's very familiar with like, the whole, trying to go for rent or in difference with the social housing, basically, uh, because I, 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 I can't really understand from that aspect because I don't actually do, uh, I, I don't rent. So, but can't people argue from there with like social housing and renting, like? Obviously, because if rent is increasing, then I guess your next solution is social housing. But then, why, 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 why do people still have to rely on rent? Basically, why is it so important? I guess coming from this, that we need to really emphasize more on rental reforms. Because uh, even if we did all of the things that 
that every even if we fix social housing in Australia, right, which is which is what our campaign thinks needs to happen mm. um, for to, to bring down the cost of housing, not just for the people who are in social housing, but market wide, right? Yeah. Um, back when the government had more reach in the market, it really did bring down the cost of rent. But even if you did that, our social housing shortfall is so huge. We've got six hundred and forty thousand households across the country who need social housing, and no one has a plan to fill that hole. Um, it's going to take like 20 years, even if you you, you really started that now and you, you built 30,000 homes per year. Mm. So that's 20 years at least where we're going to have a whole lot of people um, who, who are just left at the mercy of the private market and they need help. The other thing is, um, it's, it's a fairness question. Um, you know, maybe people don't want to buy. Um, mm. they, they, we should have a 10-year neutral um, approach to housing. You shouldn't be stuck with these these huge costs, 10% increases a year. You know, um, there's been a lot of um, ink spilled in, in a lot of newspaper pages about uh, interest rate increases. They haven't been going up by 10% a year every mm. year for the last <laughs> decade, right? Yeah. Um, no one has copped it more than rent. I see. Well, may I understand you have to run off soon very quickly. So just one last thing from you. How is how is Everybody's Home uh, can help people to get advice on, on this issue and help, basically? What we, yep. what we call on people to do all the time is make themselves heard to their politicians. Mm. One of the reasons um, that we haven't had change is because uh, the investor class and landlords uh, have always been really organised and they're um, a, a voting bloc, they're an important political constituency. We need politicians to see that renters are a powerful political constituency as well. And so um, we're, we're keen to make sure that people write to their local politicians, that they write to the, write to the editor pages in their local papers, MPs read their local papers um, quite a bit, um, and and show people that they're willing to change their vote on this issue because um, nothing could be more powerful than that. I see. All right. Thank you so much, May. It's been really lovely having you here on our show. Thanks so much. Thanks for your time. Thank you. And that was May Azizi, a spokesperson from Everybody's Home, discussing the need to protect renters from housing crisis. That was just a that was a very interesting conversation there, everyone. Mm. Mm. I got confused with like Terroring. the the, the terms of like because you know you say renters for like people who rent homes, but I was thinking um I was thinking of the other way around, <laughs> the other person who is like yeah dealing with the rent. Sorry, I was like oh my god <laughs> the rentee rentee yes that's correct <laughs> yeah yeah Rob What's you it? feeling the pinch with the housing crisis yep mm. absolutely um it's it's scary thinking about um you know no permanent home for the rest of my life um, mm. and a situation I'll never realistically be able to get out of it unless I give it my avocado toast. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but it doesn't really seem that there's any way out of this. Yeah, I've, I've, I've certainly adjusted myself to the idea that I will never probably own a home. Mm. I'm lucky enough that my parents own their home, so I'll mm. inherit half of that when they die. Yes. So I'll, I'll probably be traumatized, but I'll have half a house, yes. which will be nice. <laughs> but or in, until you could then, just eat avocado toast. I could just have as many <laughs> avocados as I want and live the good life, be a hedonistic person. Yep. How about yeah. you, Grace? You feeling the pinch? Um uh, 
I actually live with my dad at the moment, so mm. I'm actually very lucky to be able to have a home because um, obviously my parents have worked very hard to get a home for themselves. They they mm. obviously be able to offer afford a home. So, but I definitely ha- will have to run a home in the future because mm. after obviously after I graduate, I will need to live independently. I want to live independently mm. as well because mm. I don't want to keep relying on my parents for that. So yeah, I just I just want to note that. I actually live with my parents, and so I mm. can't understand from the rent perspective. So, mm. but I, I, what I'm so what I'm trying to learn here really is why, what, how, how is this going to solve the issue? Like they say, rents, they say like the plan right now it's going to make it cheaper and give more rights for the renters, but then rents is increasing and the social housing is mm. having an issue. So where's that balance? You know. So that's what mm. I was trying to understand as I was. Uh, doing the uh, having the conversation with May just now, so it's just really, really interesting what I got to know from May in regards to all this, and also hearing from everyone. Yeah, yeah. For, from my perspective, it seems like housing has transitioned from a basic need to an asset, mm. right? Mm. And it's it's something that everyone should have. Yeah, everyone exactly. has a human right to a house. But then housing has become this incredible investment opportunity, mm. and then too many people are owning too many houses. Yeah. yeah. And, and bada bing bada boom you've got a housing crisis yes mm. and ex- and there's also the issue with like people don't want more houses to be built because people don't want keep don't want to ha- keep having too many places yeah. at, at the same time because like mm-hmm. obviously obviously like maybe if you build new homes then people old homes can't be used anymore and mm. people want to keep their old homes a lot of people mm. want to keep their old homes as well so yeah. just a lot of issues everywhere and yeah. every aspect basically especially like particularly in Victoria with the construction industry just absolutely like just loving Going the development all. of houses like yeah like, rampant with profit yeah mm. exactly and then again obviously competition with renters as well mm. people want to get as many people to rent their homes as much as possible obviously because of the money but then mm. if like there's too many houses as well in the same time and there's going to be a lot of competitions there's going to be a lot of conflicts everywhere. A lot of dynamics. A lot of dynamics. So we'll we'll break it up now. You can have a break. We're gonna we we can just defrost a bit. We'll go to a few announcements now. Then we'll chuck on a lovely song. Uh, when it rains, it pours by Thelma Plum, another fantastic local artist. And then we'll be getting to our lovely next interview. Have you heard of long COVID? If you or someone you know have had COVID-19, you may still experience symptoms weeks or months later. There are many symptoms of long COVID, but the most frequent are extreme tiredness, shortness of breath, and muscle aches and joint pains. Anyone can experience long COVID, including children. You can find information in your language on the Health Translations website, healthtranslations.vic.gov.au. Just type long COVID as a keyword. A 3CR supporter. Do you have a few children's picture books or footy boots that your kids have outgrown but want to find them a loving home? Well, drop them in at 3CR and put them in the books and boots bin. 
Books and Boots regularly sends pre-loved children's picture books and sports footwear to remote and regional First Nations communities and children across the country. Contact us at Books and Boots or go to the website www.booksandboots.org.au We love a good book. Bisexual Alliance Victoria is a not-for-profit organisation dedicated to equality and justice for multi-gender attracted people, including bi, pan, regardless of label or no label at all, their partners and allies. Bisexual Alliance runs discussion groups in person and online. The group offers a safe and fun space to share your experiences, ask any questions regarding your sexual identity and provide peer support. Bisexual Alliance is especially keen to hear from multi-gender attracted people in regional and rural Victoria. Donations of $2 or more to Bisexual Alliance are now tax deductible. For more information, visit our website at bi-alliance.org, email info at bi-alliance.org or find us on Facebook or Twitter. A 3CR supporter. I'm
Hi everybody, you're back on mm. Hi everybody, you're back on 3CR 855am. This is Monday Breakfast with Rob, James and Grace. That was When It Rains It Pours by Thelma Plum. Absolutely great song by an absolutely great artist. Um, now we're going to be moving to uh, interviewing Primrose, who recently attended a counter-protest to push anti-trans bigots away from um, last weekend's Drag Expo, um, in spite of pretty much ruining months of planning by the fascists. Um, let's get into it. Hi, Primrose, you there? Hi there. Hi. Um, First of all, can you just paint us a picture of what it was like on the ground at the Drag Expo? Yeah. Um, so at least for our side, the like anti-fascist side, mm. I think, of course, there was a lot of anger that, um, you know, these bigots are going to show up. Um, but I think, um, especially once we'd sort of been able to push them back across the road um, and said sort of kept them there. The I think vibe was actually quite vibrant and um mm. yeah, a lot of sort of like happy resistance. Um, you know, yeah. people were dancing, there was music playing and um I think generally everyone felt pretty good that we were able to sort of drown out a lot of their speeches. Nice. Yeah, it's it's um super disheartening to see more and more queer and queer adjacent events like drag expos and drag story times um being gay crashed by these groups these nazis and uh even counts uh cancelled by councils before they've even happened purely just because of a threat of their presence um as someone who was there how did it feel to know that there's a growing community focused on keeping queer people safe yeah, it's obviously really good and important. Um, I've only really been in the sort of activist community for the last few years. Um, but, yeah, in that time, I've sort of met a lot of people who've been doing this for decades in some mm. cases. And, um, you know, I think sort of building that anti-fascist movement back up um, mm. to be as big as it used to be, I think, is a really sort of key uh, project that, um, I think really all left-wing people need to get themselves involved in, especially now, you know, with the resurgence of um, not only the Nazis, but, yeah, various sort of far-right um, groups, whether it's um, the so-called Freedom Fighters or far-right Christian groups, um, other mm. religious groups, yeah. Um, yeah. I think that really needs a response. Yeah, especially with places like the uh, Legacy Boxing Gym in Sunshine, um, recruiting and churning out more and more Nazis. Um, yeah. Primrose, can you just speak to, uh, as you said, you've only been involved for a few years, but just what it's been like to watch the, the anti-fascist movement grow? Yeah, it's been um, really brilliant. Um, of course, you know, it doesn't always happen as fast as you'd like it to sometimes. Um I think sometimes it does require a bit of a sort of sparking moment, um, which for me was Black Lives Matter. Um, mm. But I know for a lot of people has been these sort of recent uh, Nazi events where they've come out and, you know, taken a step to Parliament. Um, but, yeah, there's 
always sort of been a sort of core anti-fascist um, movement in Melbourne. Um, and I think, yeah, that's sort of, yeah, starting to grow again. Right, right. Um, I want to move on to talk about the police presence at the expo. How, yeah, how do, how do you think their present presence affected the counter-protest? Um, luckily, I think they weren't a hindrance to us. Um, I'm definitely no fan of the cops, but um, I, I think that they were there really on the day to protect the ex- exhibition centre rather than us as sort of um, like the sort of counter-protest. Um, mm. But since that was the case, yeah, they did sort of push away the um, the protesters to the other side of the road and helped keep them there partially. Um, in saying that, there was... I've seen a few reports of um, drag queens and other attendees sort of being mildly harassed by the police as they were entering the um, the expo. But there was nothing sort of terrible that happened on the day, thankfully. Mm. Yeah, it's. I've, I think uh, as a trans person myself, it's been really... Um, yeah, it's it's always just so so jarring when we go to pride events or places like Drag Expos, and for some reason there's a police presence. And I feel yeah. like I feel like it's just been ever since I started noticing it. It's just it seems like I I can't unsee it. You know, um, yeah. Do you, do you think that the police harassment of uh, the police kind of almost hindering the drag expo is kind of a common experience. I think definitely at um, other, well, most sort of protests and left wing events, yeah, um, they're obviously quite an intimidating force. And um, actually, at the start of the day, they, I think, use a bit of an intimidation tactic to try and get us to move on by saying that there would be up to 3,000 of the sort of far-right protesters in attendance, mm. which luckily there was nowhere near. It was about 150. But, wow. yeah, that sort of, um, you know, like massive overestimation to try and get us to move on, I think, is yeah, huh. a pretty common tactic they would use. Wow. Right. Um yeah, and and uh, the campaign against racism and fascism is running a rally to drive Nazis out of Sunshine on Saturday, September twenty third at IGA Sunshine West. Um, if you're looking to get involved, you can um, hit up the campaign against ra- racism and fascism. Um, yeah, I think I think that's all we have time for. Yeah, just uh, one last question, I think. Uh, if people listening at home would like to get involved in more anti-fascist movement, you mentioned the event at Sunshine happening soon. Mm. Uh, where would you say is a good place to start? Yeah, I think um, the campaign against racism and fascism um, put on a lot of good events in response to a number of different things. So recently, Nazis... Um, but also have been doing work around refugees in the past. 
Um, but there's also a number of other sort of groups and pages that you can follow, like Trans Queer Solidarity with a group that called the Drag Counter Protest on Saturday. So definitely give them a follow. Um, but yeah, just have a look around. Try and follow pretty much every sort of anti-fascist and left-wing group that you can find. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Primrose. Great work, Rob. That was Primrose, who attended the anti-fascist counter-rally last week at the Drag Expo. And thank you, Rob, for that interview. Nailed it. Thank you. Um, just sitting here reflecting on, on that conversation, mm. uh, how are you feeling, Rob, about you know these events, but also the counter-events that happen when, when these things pipe up? Yeah, it's it's been a... Quite frankly, it's been a bit of a journey um, existing as a trans person, mm. you know. Um, uh, uh, our rights are just used as being used as a political football between major parties all over the world, so much anti-trans legislation all over the world. Um, and it's, yeah, it's super, it's, it's a heavy burden um, to know mm. that people are literally taking to the streets to protest your existence. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, um, there are people like Primrose and other people out there who are literally attending to to counter that. And um, mm-hmm. it seems like we have strength in numbers, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's good to know that there's solidarity and community, um, which is saving us. Yeah, fantastic. You know. mm. So for those listening at home, like Primrose said, there's a lot of anti-fascist, anti-racist groups that you can follow and join. Um, I know for myself, I'll be following Trans Queer Solidarity on Facebook and Instagram. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that'll be a great thing to do. Uh, we're going to go to a few announcements now. And then we, when we come back, we might have a little debrief about the day and mm. see what we're looking forward to next week. 3CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. Bisexual Alliance Victoria is a not-for-profit organisation dedicated to equality and justice for multi-gender attracted people, including bi, pan, regardless of label or no label at all, their partners and allies. Bisexual Alliance runs discussion groups in person and online. The group offers a safe and fun space to share your experiences, ask any questions regarding your sexual identity and provide peer support. Bisexual Alliance is especially keen to hear from multi-gender attracted people in regional and rural Victoria. Donations of $2 or more to Bisexual Alliance are now tax deductible. For more information, visit our website at bi-alliance.org, email info at bi-alliance.org or find us on Facebook or Twitter. A 3CR supporter. I'm bisexual.
Because the Palestinian fight isn't just the Palestinians' fight, it's all our fight, because it's a fight not just about land, it's about a fight for freedom. Everybody should be standing here today saying, free Palestine. Solidarity with our Palestinian brothers and sisters on behalf of the Bumbanja nation, my people who've never ceded their sovereignty. We should be recognising Palestine as a state and recognising the rights of Palestinians. 3CR. Stay tuned, stay radical. You're with 3CR Breakfast on 855am, covering community and alternative current affairs as we do every morning here on 3CR. If you'd like to support the station in providing community access to the airwaves, please consider becoming a subscriber. Details are at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. And wherever you're listening, 3CR Digital, streaming at 3cr.org.au or maybe via the Community Radio app. It's great to have your company this morning. Stay tuned. Yeah, so you're listening on 3CR 855 AM. We just now heard a very interesting conversation with Primrose and Rob, who was and Primrose is the attendee of the anti-fascist counter-protests, which forced Nazis away from their presence at the last weekend's drag expo. So, Rob, I think there was a question that I was just trying to understand just now, mm. is that we obviously know that these counter-protests uh, with the Nazis has been going on for quite a while, yeah, and it's been happening for quite a it's, It keeps continuing and it hasn't stopped, and mm. obviously it needs to continue because we need to continue speaking for trans rights. So how is it going to be different each time to obviously the objective is still the same to increase solidarity solidarity mm. and speak up for trans rights yep. but how is it going to be different to help continue improving and getting the message out there I think yeah I think it's a really good question and it's it's super hard to give a definitive answer but I, I think you nailed it when, when you said we just need to keep nailing the community solidarity for trans people mm. um you know, especially, especially like as individuals, as trans individuals, it's it's good to, in my experience, build a community of other trans people who, you know, um, w- when events like this happen, it's often good to, you know, get together and just be in a space where it's safe to talk yeah. about this stuff and how it feels to exist um within this space and when there's you know so often um events which are gate gate crashed by mm. um bigots um so yeah it's 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 hard to know how it'll be different each time but um i guess the main point is that we just need to keep nailing the need to keep showing up mm-hmm. interesting keep fighting the fight yep we can be allies and we definitely will be um, we're going to go to a song now, and I've got a, a wonderful song lined up by local artist Bumpy, who I've played before, and yep. I, w- I will play Bumpy again because Bumpy is the next big <laughs> thing. Bumpy was just announced to be playing at Meredith Music Festival in December, Amazing. Wow. the grand final of all festivals in Victoria, the big, the big one. Um, and just a, just a note, I am friends with Bumpy, but... <laughs> I'm, You're her number big fan, I'm, number one supporter. I'm a fan... Before a friend, you know, I'll be a fan no matter what. So this is Hide and Seek by the amazing Bumpy. Hide and 
Ross House has community meeting rooms available for hire at subsidised rates. Perfect for small meetings, student study groups, Zoom conferencing and seminars. Facilities include free Wi-Fi, display screens for presentations, projector and sound system and a Zoom conferencing system. HEPA filter units have been placed in every meeting room. You can book and pay via their website, rosshouse.org.au or contact reception during office hours on 9650-1599. Ross House is a 3CR supporter. Kafiyas are Palestinian scarves and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafiyas, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafiyah to an array of modern designs, explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafiyas.org.au that's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S dot A 3CR supporter. You are listening to Monday Breakfast here at 855am 3CR with James, Rob and Grace. So we're going to have a we're going to end with the good news story uh, that is the entire Matildas campaign at the recent World Cup, which finished last night with Spain winning one nil over England, the world's best team, which is also a good news story. Spain's first ever World Cup. So just uh, Rob, from your perspective, how's the World Cup gone? It's been it's been great. I mean, it's been a long time since. Uh, personally, I was so invested in a sports tournament, uh, as I'm sure a lot of people can yeah. relate to that. You got World Cup fever. I got World Cup fever. Oh, yeah. um, I went and watched the semi-final. Um, sorry, not the semi-final. The game before it mm. in at Fed Square. Oh wow! Um, which was absolutely incredible to be around so many other people, um, just enjoying the game. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Now, Grace, you don't follow soccer very closely. <laughs> Did you get bitten by World Cup fever? <laughs> yeah, it's funny because um, I so many people around me were all watching, and it's like, no, you should watch it. You should watch it because it's so good and everything. But I'm um, seeing like I'm never been to sports. Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so like, but I, I but uh, even though I've never actually watched the game until now, but don't come at me. But yeah, but I I definitely can kind of get the vibe of the world the world cup for you because so many people around me were so sharing about the news being so excited about it and i I, to be honest i even know all the results and all what's Mm. going on just from like what people uh have been telling me about it so yes definitely the fever come from there that's Mm. all i can say but i did kind of watch snippets kind of only so i can see that the multitudes played very well they did a good job they tried their best. I understand there were a lot of pressures. I heard there was a lot of pressures from them. Don't oh, blame yeah. them. Because sports, you know, when people are getting you into that final bit, final mm. final end, there's all the adrenaline rush and pressure coming from that. So, but mm. I think they did it. But good good job to them. They did very well. Yeah, they did very well. So, just to recap the whole thing, 
Australia came into the competition rated the 10th best in the world. Mm-hmm. Wow. 10th mm. best, uh, nine teams ahead of them. Mm. And then they lost to Nigeria 3-2, which was a shaky moment mm-hmm. in the in the, you know, the opening rounds. Yep. But then they beat Ireland, they beat Canada, then they beat Denmark, then they beat France in a tense penalty shootout. Mm. The longest penalty shootout in World Cup history, men or women's mm. in all sp- in all World Cups. Yeah, how does that even work? Like, how does how how does penalties? How can they even give that many penalties? So you get five shots each. Yep. And then at the end of those five shots, if you're still even with the amount of penalties, then you get one more each. Mm-hmm. And then if you're still even, you get one more each. And then mm. you just keep going keep until going. someone so, gets yeah. one oh. and someone misses. Yeah. Oh, so like if someone keeps missing, still they had to go continue. Yeah, and yep. that happened. That, that happened. happened. Oh, you know, wow! And it was the longest one ever. Fact check me on that, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, <laughs> pretty it is, sure. I think yep. it did say it was a long. And then game. they lost to England mm. um, in the semi final, which was very sad. Yeah, but mm. England were the best team in the world, rated number one. Mm. So if we're going to lose to anyone, at least we lost to the best yep. one. <laughs> so that's fine. And England, England were on fire. They were for that game. They were rough. They were physical, mm. and they were pretty points on. So they punished Australia on their mistakes, mm. which is what the best teams in the world do. Australia was playing very well, mm. but just a couple little mistakes in England went bang, bang, bang. Yeah, yeah. Who, who are you rooting for other than Australia? Uh, I'd go for Ireland. Oh. Uh, my, fa- my family hails from Ireland a long time ago, you know, bloody convicts and all that. But yes, we're we're from County County Clare, I think, mm-hmm. from Killarney, something like that. So I I did, I you know go the Irish. Yeah, know. the Irish have a good fighting spirit, you know, from all those years of colonial. Mm. You know, they're they're good at fighting. Mm. So go go the Irish. Um, and I should say, in that loss to England, uh, Sam Kerr, the greatest Australian soccer player mm-hmm. of all time, in all sports. Mm. Scored the goal of the century. I'm calling it. It was a screamer. Incredible goal. It was a screamer. Wow. And that, and yeah, and we lost, but we had that moment. Yep. I was in a little town mm. in South Australia watching, and erupted. Yep. Erupted. Yep. So coming out of it, just a few, uh, just a few outcomes of the World Cup is, from a cultural political standpoint that are really um, we want to highlight. Yeah. Um, the semi-finals lost to England was the highest, most watched event in Australian television history, mm-hmm. with 11 million people tuning in, a bit over 11 million. The previous best was Kathy Freeman's eight, uh, 400 meter gold in 2000. That was about wow. 8 million. So wow. almost half the country tuned in, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, which is phenomenal. Yeah, because... Mm. Australia's, I just, I was just checking last Australia's population, fact checking right now in Google, 2021 was 25 million people. Yeah. So yeah. that is almost half. And they say people don't watch women's sports. I mean, come on. Mm. I mean, come on. Mm. So, uh, Rob, as you noted off air, there's going to be a $200 million funding boost for women's sport mm. that was announced recently. And Queensland has announced that they're going to build a big old statue at Suncorp Stadium dedicated to the Matildas. As they should. As they should. They said that there's too many statues dedicated to men, and this has been such an amazing moment for this country. Mm. 
we're building a big old bloody statue. Mm. So we got a statue out mm. of it. That's that's huge. Yeah, that's huge. And a statue for someone who's definitely meant to be on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Not statues of uh, colonizers. <laughs> exactly. You know, sports sports women. How good. I'm good. So that's that. So we've got we're, we're coming up on time, but uh, just one from each of you. What are you looking forward to this week? Well, for me, I have uni as usual. I guess my weeks are the same every week. Uni, work, and... But yeah, I'm going for Hotpot this Friday because I'm finally having Hotpot after a very long time. So yes, mm. that's what I'm looking for. Other than that, uh, my, days, my days are going to go as usual. Mm. How about you, Rob? Uh, yeah, same thing. Nothing in particular. I'm just looking forward to enjoying more of this sunshine that we've been getting. Oh, isn't it beautiful? As winter starts to come to an end. Isn't um, it glorious? Yeah, it was my favorite, favorite part of favorite time of year when the sun starts kind of peeking through, especially to enjoy it before summer comes and I'm working outside and sweating. A lot in the heat. <laughs> Lots of sweat. <laughs> that's, that's what we all need. That's what it's all about. So you've been listening to Monday Breakfast here on 3CR. It's been James, Rob and Grace. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next week. How good's that? See you later. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.